and welcome to the Heat Check Podcast, the Miami Herald's Miami Heat Podcast. I'm David Wilson, and I'm joined, not as always, by Barry Jackson, our columnist here at the Miami Herald. Anthony, uh, busy with travel this Thanksgiving week. So we've got Barry on in his place. Barry, how's it going? David, good to be with you. Yeah, yeah first, first time in a while. From hell. I can't even remember the last time I was on with you. I think you filled in for me uh, a couple times. but uh... Yes, and this Heat schedule is just unforgiving that Anthony is uh, meandering around the country. I've never seen such a front-loaded schedule of road games. He's, of course, uh, going uh, to Minneapolis as we tape this game, uh, as we tape this podcast, rather, for a game on Wednesday night and then in Chicago on Saturday. And and they have another West Coast trip at the end of the year and a four-game swing in December. So it's the most road-heavy early season heat schedule that I can recall in their history. But they've been able to withstand it so far. Yeah, yeah. Anthony wrote about that. I think yesterday or today. Um, I guess they're on the road for Thanksgiving. Anthony, I was asked. He said he's cut, getting home for Thanksgiving before heading back out on the road. But the team's on the road for Thanksgiving. Uh, like you said, we're recording this Wednesday afternoon. So if anything crazy happens in this uh, Timberwolves game, that's why uh, we are not addressing it. Um, otherwise, I kind of figured we just, you know, Anthony and I talk about. Inevitably, we, we have the same opinions that week in and week out. Obviously, they change a little bit, but we've got our, our thoughts on this team. And, and this team has been, you know, as you mentioned, other than that one hiccup they really had on the West Coast trip where they, uh, you know, lost three in a row, the Denver, L.A., L.A. We'll talk about that, obviously, and, and what we, you know, the, the, other than that, it's been pretty steady. This team has looked good um, no matter who's been in the lineup. Uh, they've got random guys making surprise contributions. Their stars have mostly been their stars. Obviously, Tyler Hero has been a running theme, but I figured, you know, we're, I guess, about a quarter of the way through the season now. Um, just kind of wanted to get your temperature on where things stand with this team. Obviously, you're, you're all over the place, especially this time of year, busy with football stuff before you kind of move into more of your uh, in-depth heat coverage once you hit the new year, basically. Um, but first of all, you know, are, are how – I think it's fair probably to say for all of us, they're exceeding expectations, at least I think. Um, are they exceeding your expectations? And so how, how much is this team exceeding what you maybe expected in the preseason? Well, I, I'm not surprised that they're 12 and six and tied for second in the East. I am a little surprised that they're rebounding at the rate, at the efficiency, at the volume they have, because basically they didn't get much taller this offseason, right? I mean, he's shorter. Six, five. He's one of the, the better six, five yeah in recent NBA history. And Marquise Morris isn't exactly a seven-footer. So without he hasn't played a lot. Right, exactly. And obviously he's been out with the whiplash for a while. So they obviously acquired one of the NBA's better rebounding point guards, Kyle Lowry. We know Butler can rebound. Bam has improved his rebounding from a year ago when he fell under 10 boards per game. So I think that's been the one surprise to me. And of course, everyone has to be at least mildly surprised by just how good Tyler Hero has been. Not shocked, because we knew he had it in him, going back to the bubble, but I don't think anyone would say they would have expected the all-star level play consistently we're seeing from Tyler Hero. So to me, rebounding and Hero have been the the positive surprises. Uh, And the other surprise is who's around them, David, in the Eastern Conference hierarchy. Not That's true. (laughs) Right. We, I mean, we all expected Brooklyn to be up there. They enter Wednesday night first in the East at 13 and five. But you have Chicago at 12 and six. We knew they were improved with Ball and DeRozan, uh, but they've been without Vukovic uh, for a period of time because of an injury. 
And they're still 12 and six, even though they're coalescing even more than the Heat. They had uh, more significant additions than Miami did, which essentially had, you know, Lowry and Tucker, but already had their core here. And then to see Washington at 11 and six, Charlotte at 11 and eight entering tonight, I think those are surprises. Uh, so I'm not at all surprised to see him at 12 and six. This should be easily a 50 win team if there aren't significant injuries along the way. I guess my my concern is a health, right? Because right. oh, Lowry has missed 15 to 25 games each of the last three years. We know Butler's been banged up a little bit the last couple of years. We know Bam obviously has had some issues with the knee. So that would be one worry. And the other worry is uh, there are going to be some nights and we've seen them already in some of their losses and in some of their wins where the three point shooting is just off. I guess that's been yeah. one of the disappointments that it hasn't been more consistent. Uh, they're obviously bottom uh, half of the league in three point shooting at this point. Has that surprised you? Yeah, well, it's actually interesting the way you put it, that you're not surprised they're 12 and 6. And I guess when you put it that way, you're kind of right. Like, if you, if you just went through it the preseason were like, pick these 18 games, win-loss, you probably would have come out somewhere around 12 and 6. Um, maybe maybe they're a win better because, you know, whatever. They, they beat Brooklyn and they beat uh, Milwaukee, right? So they've, they've got a couple of wins where – a couple of really good wins early on. But the way they've done it, that you're right, is, is what's kind of surprising. I think, you know, we talked about it a lot in the preseason and – wrote about it a lot. It was like what Kyle Lowry was going to do for this team. And we talked a lot. I think all me, you and Anthony all wrote, I think at various points about how much faster they were going to play. And that's been really the reason this is a top five offense right now. The, the half court offense is mi- very middle of the pack, um, but they're getting out in transition efficiently. Um, but I don't think any of us saw the rebounding coming to this degree. Right. I, I know they talked about it and Bam talked about it a lot in the preseason was that it was something he knew he needed to get better at. And he said maybe the shoulder injury that he was kind of dealing with throughout last year affected it a little bit. Um, and then, yeah, the three point shooting one, the fact that they're a little underwhelming as a three point shooting team, because Duncan Robinson has not been the sharpshooter uh, we have been used to seeing the last two years. Um but it's not just the fact that they've been underwhelming as a three-point shooting team. They're nine and one when they shoot under 30% from three in a game, which is like kind of feels impossible in the modern NBA and probably is not sustainable to that degree. But it makes you think that once they get this three-point shooting going, which I, I, I think we all think Duncan is going to probably, I don't know what his number is at right now, but like inevitably he's probably going to finish like in the forties, right? Like he's going to, he's going to end up probably having a good year as a three-point shooter. Um, it's going to make it, it makes me like a little bit less worried about when we talk about, you know, Anthony and I have talked about this a lot, the sustainability of this half court offense with their big reliance on, on mid range jump shots. And the fact that three pointers are not falling to the same level that we expect. It makes me think that like, I think it's going to get better, the three point shooting. And that's going to make up for some of like the flukiness that maybe that this offense is leaning on right now with the heavy dose of mid-range and... Right. Like, I, I would agree with that. I do wonder, though, and as we enter this Wednesday night game in Minnesota, Duncan is at 33.8% from the field. So it's obviously been a dramatic drop-off, yeah. the 44-6, which was otherworldly two years ago, and yeah. the 4.8, which was still really good last year. And obviously no one expects him to finish at 33.8 for the year. He's too good a shooter for that. But I do wonder this. Is what we saw from Robinson two years ago 
and even to an extent last year, going to be representative of who he is throughout the duration of this five-year contract, or will he settle into a guy who shoots 36 to 37% from threes? If he's not a 39 or 40% shooter, then obviously he will not be maximizing the, <laughs> nor yeah. will the heat of that contract. You need him to be an elite shooter to maximize that contract and be able to stomach uh, the cap hit of the five-year $90 million deal, which incidentally is only partially guaranteed in year five. That was an odd uh, quirk about his contract, and he obviously had a reason for doing it, but they made sure that uh, only $9 million of the final year of his deal would be guaranteed in the year if for whatever reason he had a dramatic drop-off. Of course, he didn't expect the dramatic drop-off to happen in year one. So because Duncan is so diligent, so studious about his work, you would think because he has the natural shooting gift that he's going to snap out of this at some point. My only concern is does he, does he snap out of it to the point where he's elite again, or does he snap out of it to the point where he's merely pretty good three-point shooter? To me, an elite Duncan is needed, among other things, to go deep in postseason. Now, from a three-point standpoint, David, it's encouraging to see Struess yeah. become the type of three-point shooter early on that the Heat thought he would be. Last year, he closed at 33.8% from the field on threes, I believe. He's at 38.8 this year. So he's giving you more consistent three-point work. Uh, you know, obviously, you're, you're going to get consistent three-point shooting, you would think, from Lowry. Uh, even though it's been up and down early this season, he's been, uh, at this point, uh, only 30% on threes, which would easily be uh, his lowest uh, since 2010. Not that anyone expects him to finish uh, close to this. Uh, last year, Lowry was 39% on threes. So you figure with Lowry shooting 30% on threes, with Duncan at 33% on threes, those numbers are going to increase. And if you're 12 and six in spite of that, that would seem to bode well for the future in terms of both guys getting near their normal averages, right? Yeah. Yeah. They've, they've got ways to get like obvious ways to get better on offense. That is even, it's not even like you got to change the scheme, right? It's like, just make more shots and, and you're right. getting a little bit better offensively. Um, obviously so, you know, PJ Tucker's probably not going to shoot 45% from three or whatever he's at right now. True. And, right. On the other side of the spectrum. Yeah. Exactly. And then, and I think you look at, you mentioned Struce and I like Struce a lot. I've, I've kind of been a fan since, you know, just like right away, he's, he's not only is he a good three point shooter, but like, you just can tell he's like got the feel he's, he's got a, you know, pretty solidly built, which makes you think he can be like a solid defensive player. Um, but that deep bench and and I wrote about them last week after I covered uh, a game has been like that. That's maybe the one area that you look at and you're like, all right, is this really going to keep up when you look at like some of these, you know, everyone on this team, everyone in that deep bench unit, has a positive plus minus right now, which like, that's not what you expected when you were like, all right, this team's going to have to play Gabe Vincent, Max Strews, Dwayne Dedman, um, Caleb Martin, big minutes. You weren't expecting those guys to win their minutes necessarily. And the fact that they have been able to play that well, I think also has helped mitigate, you know, the obvious concern with this team, I think in the preseason, you mentioned injuries because of the age with a lot of these guys and, and the miles. And the other thing was the depth. No one, I don't, I don't think anyone thought this team was going to be able to go like, nine deep on any given night reliably. And instead they're able to go nine deep, even when Markeith Morris and whichever one of their like top six guys is out. Exactly. 
Exactly. And, you know, depth was always the worry because of the fact that they're only able to carry 14 players up until yeah. early to mid-March because they don't want to uh, go over the luxury tax. Uh, and the fact that Opala, for the most part, has been unplayable. They did give yeah. him up minutes. He's the one guy with a negative plus minus on this team. Right. And he's still doing a really good job with his defensive metrics. Player he's guarding typically is shooting in the 35 to 39% range, but obviously his three-point shot uh, continues to be an issue. Uh, so if you play him, he can't play for extended minutes. I thought it was interesting, as you noticed, that Spolstra said they made the decision this year to play Udonis more. It's obviously still going to be very limited minutes. Mm-hmm. So he's playable, but just obviously in small doses. Uh, but the question is, uh, if you have three or four wing injuries, can you sustain it without bringing in someone? Obviously, you can use Caleb Martin for the 50 games and keep in mind that that means you can have him active for 50 games. Doesn't mean necessarily playing 50 games. He could play in 50, but if he's active on a night and he doesn't play, that still counts toward the 50 game limit for two way players. Uh, Marcus Garrett, obviously someone they probably don't think is going to be able to help him quite a bit right, uh, right now. So my question with Martin would be this, if you get to the 50 game mark with him, in late February, and you simply run out of games on the two-way contract, do you convert him to a standard deal? Is he basically your buyout addition, uh, which would keep them from being able to sign someone on the buyout market unless, this is the big unless, David, they can find someone to take Opel off their hands right. in exchange for like a, a 2090 second round pick. <laughs> I, of course, because you can't trade picks more than seven years out. But if they could trade Opal and cash to somebody for an extra roster spot, or a then additional second round pick that will never convey, or right? Which will never be conveyed, right? Then you could convert Martin to a standard contract, keep him in your rotation, not have to worry about the fifty-game two-way contract limitation, and you'd be able to have a spot to sign the best available player in the buyout market who wants to come to your team. Uh, so that to me is how we're headed. This won't be an issue if the Heat can maintain relative health. This to me is only an issue if you have, you know, three wings or three bigs injured at the same time. And, and if Oladipo struggles when he returns, of course, that is the big variable with this team. I don't expect to see him until the new year. I've heard anywhere from late January to March. Uh, It's a timetable. Obviously the Heat will never be precise about, but when he comes back, I don't think anyone can realistically expect a guy who's going to be anything close to all-star quality. I'm not saying that long-term because, you know, he's dedicated enough and skilled enough to eventually perhaps get back to all-star form. I'm talking about what we can expect once he comes back from major knee surgery in late March or April. So maybe you can project him for playoff rotation spot, but I think it's unreasonable to expect, uh, you know, vintage Victor Oladipo, right? Yeah, I mean, you're basically hoping he takes that Caleb Martin spot, basically. Right. Or whatever, one of those spots. And you, it's uh, it's good that you point out just the fact that he would be a playoff player, right? Because we've seen good young role players, like, just not be able to play. Like, you know, I think of Kendrick Nunn, the bubble year, when he finished runner-up for rookie of the year that year, and was basically unplayable for 80% of the playoff run. Um, and right. that that's my worry when I look at, like, it the heat leaning heavily on a guy like Caleb Martin or, you know, just any of these young unproven guys, you know, he, 
Struess, whatever, pick any, Gabe Vincent is like, yeah, they're, they're great. They fit a role for you right now. They can, they can help you on a, you know, on a night when the other team's tired or short a couple of guys and, and they can hang with a deep bench of their own, but like, and obviously, you know, they're, once the heat get fully healthy with Marquise Morris and assuming playoff time, the full rotation is basically available. You won't need those guys as much, but Oladipo is the X factor in that. I just trust him a lot more in the playoffs than I do than these other guys, just because of the track record. Maybe that's foolish because we, again, we it's, it's, you say it's hard to project him to be an all-star. It's hard to project him to be anything good or bad. It's just like hard to know what he's going to look like. And, but he, he's the X factor for this team in terms of creating that additional layer of depth um, that, that I think would help them be a real title contender. When you look at them stacking up against the other, you know, top five, six, seven teams. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. You know, one thing that intrigues me so far this year, David, is how Lowry has taken a backseat offensively. And you just wonder at what point does Spo say to him, okay, we need you to take over more. We've seen it certainly in snippets. We saw it last night in the fourth quarter where he hit a big three. Uh, you know, speaking of the Detroit game, we're taping this on Wednesday afternoon of Thanksgiving week. But, I mean, his field goal attempts down precipitously. He's taking 10 shots a game compared to 13 last year, 13-8 the year before that. Uh, his three-point attempts are down a couple a game from two years ago. His points have dropped significantly, 19.4 two years ago, 17.2 last year. He's at 12.2 this year, which would be his lowest since 2010. Now, no one expects Lowry to close the year averaging 12 points a game. You know, he's been a consistent, uh, you know, 15 to 19-point-a-game guy the last three years he was a 22 a game guy as recently as 2017. But at some point, even though his intentions are very pure, as Eric Spolster would say, right, in terms of getting other guys involved, at some point, he's going to have to become more assertive offensively. Maybe that will come. He's got a good feel for things. But is that something you'd like to see more of from him, a more assertive Kyle Lowry offensively? I think it works for what they're doing right now, right? And, and I think the probably the biggest reason for that is Tyler hero, right? Is that yes. is, it is, you know, when we come into the year, we were like, there is a clear hierarchy with three guys, you know, two bam and, and Jimmy, who are still all-star level players, Kyle Lowry, who was basically a year removed from being an all-star, I think um, had obviously mm -hmm. not the best last season with Toronto, but everyone knew he was, you know, clearly still all-star capable and, you know, could, could be the number three from this team that has two, legit stars right now. Um, and the fact that Tyler Hero is just like vaulted right into that mix, I think has, you know, it's just changed the math with how many shots are available. And I think it made sense for Kyle Lowry to take the backseat, but yeah, it's, you, you point out what he was able to do like last night in the fourth quarter of games. He still is. It's something Anthony and I've talked about a lot on the show is how unusually the heat are built where their two best players are non-shooters and 
it just makes it hard to like, that's the reason for inconsistency on offense in a lot of ways, right? Like you look at any other team at the heat's level, um, you know, the Bulls, Zach Levine can just dribble up and take a shot. He can get an open shot in any possession because even if he can't get to the rim, he can shoot a three and there's a 34% chance that it goes in. That's a pretty good shot. And the heat with Bam and Jimmy don't really have that, right? Those guys get hard shots and make them. That's what makes them good. Or in Jimmy's case, gets to the free throw line. Um, but what Kyle can give them because he's a three point shooter is he can just get a, a good shot probably easier than those guys. Um, is it going to be as efficient as Jimmy going to the basket and potentially getting an and one? Maybe not, but when things really get mucked up, that's a, a player like Kyle and what Tyler has ultimately given them this year is the same thing. That's what can get you out of your offensive lulls, I think, come playoff time. Um, and so I, I, I think we're going to have that, again, probably more come playoff time than we are in the regular season. But like you said, I, I think Kyle's good at picking his spots. It's hard to complain about what he's doing offensively right now. Um, but just seeing a, a moment, you know, seeing stuff like what he did last night reminds you that, that is there and it's a weapon they have to unleash. It might not need it a lot this year, but it's going to be uh, available for him to take over a little bit. Right, and he's at 7.6 assists per game, which is above his career average of 6.3. And obviously, one of his many assets that he's brought to this team is the ability to push the ball and create pace. There's no question. They are at their best when he's pushing the ball. And you know, there are times when they're sluggish offensively where the obvious answer, beyond better shooting, of course, is for Lowry to pick up the pace. So that's one element that he's brought that's been – you know, really one of, of the neat and impressive aspects of the first 18 games of the season. And you do wonder, and you mentioned playoff basketball, David, obviously it's slower by nature, more of a half court. You do wonder against quality opponents you face in the playoffs, will the Heat be able to beat people down court as often as they have at times this year when Lowry yeah. really pushes pace? That's going to be interesting to me. He certainly had some success doing that in Toronto during their title run, having Kawhi Leonard helped. So, you know, he's going to be able to do that some. Uh, How much he's going to do it is going to be interesting. Remember, when they were trailing Detroit on Tuesday night, there was a point in the third quarter of that game where they were down 10 and they had only two fast fast break points. So easy buckets is such an important component of this team. It is obviously for a lot of of teams at every level of basketball, but for this team in particular, because that's one of the gifts that Kyle Lowry brings to your team. Right. Yeah, in the half court, this team is not very different. Um, you know, they were middle of the pack as an offensive team last year. They're middle of the pack as an offensive team this year. When you just factor in the half court, what they're doing differently this year is, is that transition where I think they're third in, in transition points or they're way up there. And it, it's basically vaulted them from being a, a mediocre offense to being a really good offense. Um, and like you said, come playoff time, that's harder to come by. The one thing I keep going back to with why I kind of like this team for the playoffs is those when nothing else is available, the mid-range is available. Um, you got to hit mid-range jumpers to win in the playoffs. People don't like it in the regular season. Obviously, it's it's something kind of the one flaw, one obvious flaw with this Heat offense right now is they probably shoot too many mid-range jumpers. But come playoff time, it ha- helps to have a guy like Tyler Hero who can hit a tough shot. It helps to have a guy like Jimmy Butler who can hit a tough shot. Um, do you think this team's a legit title contender? I do. I think everything would have to break right. We need to continue seeing the same all-star level hero. We need to continue to see uh, this Jimmy and Bam offensively. We know, obviously, they're they're terrific right. all 
caliber players, but both have raised their game offensively with Jimmy. It was always in him. It was just a question of him wanting to defer because he felt that was needed more from him last year and his first year with the heat as well. He was needed more, you know, to set up the offense as a primary ball handler. And so his offense, uh, his own scoring was often subjugated that not the case this year. He's at 24 and a half points per game up from 19.9 and 21.5 in his first two years with the Heat. Three-point shooting obviously remains a shortcoming. He's at 26% there, which is, you know, very close to the 24% he shot from three his first two years with the Heat. So if Butler continues to perform at this level offensively, because we know everything else he gives you with assists, rebounds, defense, and if Bam's offensive game continues to be uh, as impressive as it's been, even though his mid-range shooting still, you know, there'll be lulls at time, but just the overall offensive game is obviously better. If we get that, if they stay healthy, and if Lowry returns to all-star level Lowry and Duncan at least gives you 38% from three yeah. and three percent So what? I gave you six ifs, right? Yeah, so, yeah it's a lot of ifs. I'll, I'll give you a seventh if. I'll give you a seventh if, David. Health, right? Yeah. Health. So all of those, yes. I could see them as a legitimate title contender. I mean, is it likely they would beat both Milwaukee and Brooklyn in the playoffs? I would say, you know, no one would probably bet a lot of money on that, but it's not out of the question by any means if all of those guys are at their best. Yeah, that's why you'd love to get that one seed potentially. Uh, Yeah, yeah, exactly. If someone asked you, if someone stopped you on the street today, if you were wandering around aimlessly in Little Havana, and somebody stopped and say, hey, you're, you're David Wilson. You write for the Herald. I recognize you from your, uh, from your Heat UM recruiting and Panther stories and everything else you do. And said to you, is the Heat a championship contender? Your answer is what? I think yes. I, th- I think the way you put it, like it's it obviously like what is a championship contender, right? Like that's it, kind of the existential question. Uh, <laughs> right. like, but when you, when you put out all those ifs, that's a lot of ifs, but it's all ifs that seem reasonable, right? Like it, all those things yes. really feel like they could be true. Um, I think the one other if is uh, does Kyrie Irving uh, get his COVID vaccine at some point? Oh, that's the biggest one of all. It's so funny how the Heat's title contention. If you were listing 10 factors that would determine the Heat's chances of making the NBA finals, doesn't Kyrie's vaccination status and New York laws rank in the top three? It's in there because I, I still blowing. think if he's back, I mean – they looked like they were by far the best team in the NBA last year um, bef- before all those injuries happened against the Bucks. And if those three, uh, KD, James Harden, and, and Kyrie are all out there together, I still have a hard time thinking the Heat are in that class. Maybe the Bucks are, and the Heat are not. You know, I, like I, obviously we think the Heat can beat the Bucks. That's why we think they're a title contender. But I, I have a hard time thinking they're in that Brooklyn class if all those three guys are out there and – you know, and if they're out there for enough time, you know, if, if he's cleared right before the playoffs start and they haven't played together, then obviously they're vulnerable. But let's say he somehow gets on the court around the all-star break and plays the whole second half of the season. I still think Brooklyn is is the team to beat in the East. Um, and then in the West, you know, if you get out of the East, obviously they have a shot. But in the West, it seems pretty open, too, um, with the Warriors playing lights out. But, you know, I, I think – they're, they're not the Warriors of old where they're an unbeatable team. So I, I think you have to say the Heat are a contender. If, if, you're, if you're saying do they have like a greater than 10% chance to win the championship or something like that, then, then I think, yeah, they're, they're probably about there. They're not, they're not one of the top 
three right now, probably. I think you would still probably say Brooklyn, Milwaukee, Golden State, but they're definitely in that next group. Um, and if you're in that second group, all you need is a break, right? Would, would anyone have said Toronto was a, a title contender, the, the Kawhi year? Probably not because everyone thought the Golden State was just going to run away with it. So I think I think the heater heater in it. What what team would scare you as the fourth team in that group? As the fourth team, uh, besides Bro- Milwaukee, Brooklyn, Miami, who would most concern from you? The East? From the East. From the East, yes. Hmm. You know, Chicago's been real. I'm I'm really interested to see Heat against Chicago on Saturday. I don't think Chicago, but you know, they played really well, so you gotta at least like mention them. Um, I still feel like it's. I don't know, uh, probably Philly, I guess. I mean, it's beyond those top three, it's a mix of underachieving teams, right? Like Philly and, and Boston um, uh-huh. and overachieving teams that, you know, like Washington and Chicago, you mentioned Charlotte, um, you know, Atlanta is out there too, just not playing well at all, but obviously they went to the East finals last year. Um, I'd probably still say I, Philly and Boston are still the two. Maybe it's just like the, I don't trust these new teams yet, but just the fact that we know they have legit superstar talent and that's what it takes to win, right? Jason Tatum or Joel Embiid, you go off for a couple of rounds so they get a couple of breaks and then all of a sudden they're right back there in contention. Yes. Yeah. With the lean bowls, Boston would still concern me if they get everything together around, uh, you know, Tatum and Jalen Brown. Uh, Philly would not because I don't see a Simmons resolution. Yeah, and that's he, the problem there. there. That's another yeah, one. That feels less yeah. likely even than Kyrie Irving playing at some point. Right. And I'm not too concerned about the Knicks, even though their 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 team is playoff caliber. That they, they would not worry me. I would say probably Chicago and Boston, just because of Chicago's offensive firepower. I mean, if DeRozan and Vucevic and Ball and Levine and Levine are all at their best in a particular day. You know, they're they're a very dangerous opponent. We'll get yep. to see match up with them on Saturday night in Chicago. Yeah, that'll be a good one. Uh, you can follow Barry on Twitter at FLA Sports Buzz, and he writes about everything, including a Philip Lindsay story. He's got to go right right now. So uh, we'll wrap up there. Uh, you can follow me on Twitter at DB Wilson, too. Uh, thanks, as always, for listening, and uh, we'll talk to you guys next week.